Historians have long taught that the temple, the second temple, was destroyed because of conflict between the Romans and the Judeans. Although the details vary, observers are in general agreement that the Romans burned the temple to the ground to assert their iron authority and to put down civil unrest and challenges to their rule. However, Jewish sources seeking to justify how God could allow the holy temple to be destroyed came up with explanations that are not exactly in accord with historians. I share three of those rather implausible accounts from rabbinic sources. One, a wealthy Jerusalemite planned an elaborate party and sent invitations to all of his friends, including a friend by the name of Kamza. However, the invitation intended for Kamza was accidentally sent to a different man named Bar Kamza, an enemy of the host. As the party began, the host was surprised to find Bar Kamza, who had legitimately received an invitation in his home and promptly ordered him to leave. Bar Kamza pleaded, since I'm, I'm already here, please do not shame me by throwing me out. I'll pay for my meal. No, was the reply. Bar Kamza then offered to pay half the cost of the banquet. Again, no. I'll pay for the entire cost of the, bank, the, cost of the banquet, Bar Kamza implored. Under no circumstances, answered the host, who then grabbed Bar Kamza by the arm, pulled him up from his seat, ejected him from his home. Bar Kamza decided that since the rabbis present had not defended him, they were also responsible for his humiliation. Distressed by the incident, he sought revenge. He went to the Roman procurator, Vespasian, who eventually would become Caesar, and he said, the Jews are about to rebel against you. Vespasian, being a thoughtful man, asked, how can you prove this? Barkamza replied, send a sacrifice to be offered at the temple and see if it is actually sacrificed. So, the, uh, so Vespasian sent a calf to Jerusalem, but along the way, Barkamza split the calf's lip, causing it to be blemished and therefore rendering it unfit for sacrifice. Sacrificial animal had to be perfect. This lift blemish disqualified the animal, and the priest was unwilling to sacrifice the animal, and this seemingly substantiated Barkamza's slanderous claim of rebellion. And of course, this was an affront to Vespasian. Therefore, the Romans laid siege to the city and then destroyed Jerusalem. The rabbis concluded, the temple was destroyed because of the sin of Malbim Panim. 
literally humiliating someone so openly and so thoroughly that the blood drains from his face. And it is compared to murder because it unleashes consequences far beyond shaming. Two, there was a record of a priest who was ordered to divorce his beloved wife because the court ruled that she had been violated by Roman soldiers during a rampage. There were no witnesses to the defilement, but the court operated on the presumption that the Roman soldiers defile all women, all women in such a, an episode. The priest attempted to testify, pleading with the judges, that he was holding her hand during the entire attack. Her hand never left mine, he sobbed. The Presidium would not accept his testimony because he was considered nogea bedavar, a Hebrew term for persona non grata, an unacceptable witness. To preserve the purity of the priesthood, they forced their separation. The text concludes that because of the judge's heartless decision, Jerusalem was destroyed. Three, this last version instructs that the temple was destroyed because the priests were not proper caretakers of cultic rituals. In this legendary account of the destruction, bevies of young priests assembled on the roof of the temple with the keys to the temple in their hands as the temple was in flames. Master of the universe, they said, as we did not have the merit to be faithful treasurers, these keys are being handed back into thy keeping. And then they threw the keys heavenward. And there emerged the figure of a hand that received the keys from them, whereupon they all jumped into the fire. These examples, embarrassing another human being, callous disregard for people's feelings, and not properly acting on cultic rituals could destroy a sacred community, according to our sages. But tonight we welcome some new members. And I would prefer to offer a few observations on what constitute, constitutes and what builds a sacred community. The strength of a community can be found in what it offers its members and those who choose to be embraced by a congregation. One example may be cited in our prayer book. May the door of this synagogue be wide enough to receive all who hunger for love, all who are lonely for friendship. May it welcome all who have cares to unburden, thanks to express, hopes to nurture. May the door of this synagogue be narrow enough to shut out pettiness, pride, envy, and enmity. May its threshold be no stumbling block to young or straying feet. May it be too high to admit complacency, selfishness, and harshness. May it be a synagogue for all who enter the doorway to a richer and more meaningful life. This uh, prayer, of course, teaches us 
that people come to the synagogue for comfort, for solace, for friendship, for hope, for meaning, for the opportunity to study. They come to receive something that is missing in their lives. And indeed, a sacred community ought to offer refuge from the slings and arrows of life. But it should also offer more. Look at the words in Hebrew that we use to describe a synagogue. Beit HaMidrash, house of study. Beit HaKneset, a house of gathering. Beit HaSefer, the house of the book. Beit HaTfilah, house of prayer. This temple house is strong because its clergy, its leaders and supporters want this temple to be a home away from, from home for many Jews who wish to create and connect with a spiritual home whose thirst for learning can be study and can teach those who seek opportunities to connect with the ancient vision of Isaiah. My house of prayer shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Yes, a synagogue is a place that can shelter people who are in need, but it's also a partnership, one that stresses Jewish values, the values of kehillah, community, of shalom bayit, domestic tranquility, a nurturing and peaceful home, hachnasat orchim, hospitality to strangers, tzedakah, righteous giving, Talmud Torah, Jewish learning. Bikur Cholim, visiting the sick. Gemilut Hasadim, acts of kindness. Ne'emanut, faithfulness. Chesed, benevolent goodness. Tikkun Olam, the perfecting of a broken world. It gives us an opportunity to give as well as to receive. What our rabbis also taught when they were confronted by the destruction of the temple is that for a holy community to be sanctified, those who support and contribute to it must strengthen themselves and each other by giving more than they received, as this pointed story illustrates. In the days before electricity, a small town asked its citizens to bring a lantern whenever they came to evening town hall meetings. As they would arrive, the light in the hall would increase until the entire hall became brightly illuminated. But when one citizen didn't show up, there would be a little less light. When many citizens did not show up, areas of the hall would be completely dark. Thus, everyone could tell at a glance the degree of involvement of its citizens in the town's affairs. Well, of course, we have electricity at this point, and I think the story is well taken. What you receive illuminates your life, and what you bring illuminates the lives of others. May we always be mindful of this as we bring some of the warmth of this sacred service with us into our homes and into the workday week.
Amen.